Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. So how's everybody doing today? You know, I got good news for you that this weather has upped your property values greatly. If we could just have this year-round, everybody's property value would go up, right? Uh, I am not Nathan Frankhauser. Nathan is on his way back from the border of North Carolina and Georgia, further into God's country, uh, where 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 he officiated a wedding for Josh Stetson. Some of you may recall Josh. He was here, led our youth group uh, several years ago. So he should be back within just a few hours. Today we are going to talk about Psalm 119. We're going to be in verses 49 through uh, 56. But I want to talk to you just for a minute before we get started. Now you will recall that last week Nathan talked about the confidence that King David had in God. That, that confidence wasn't just a blind trust. It wasn't just uh, a thing that he did because that was what the law said to do. David took time to learn of God. He had been taught the law from a boy. Uh, David knew the Torah. He knew the statutes, the precepts, the commands, the decrees, the testimonies of God, David knew God's Word. He knew what all of those were. Why did the Hebrews place so much importance on the Word of God? Was it just so they could impress their friends or their family or their priest and show them how much Scripture that they knew? You know, you can learn Scripture for that reason, and that may serve to build up our ego And people may hold you in a higher regard because you know the Word of God. And that may temporarily serve to build you up. But if if it is only for academic or self-promotion reasons that you study God's Word and the Scriptures, there will come a time when that will have very little meaning. The the Apostle Paul lived among Greeks, many, many Greeks in, in many of the cities where he planted churches, who were the intellectuals of that day. They placed a great pride in the fact that they had the most esteemed teachers. If you were wealthy in that time or from a prominent family, you would have had your kids go to a Greek school, or you would have had a Greek, a Greek teacher come into your house to teach them. Paul knew what it was like to live among intellectuals. They were the elite of that day. Paul told the church at at Corinth, where there were a lot of Greeks, that there would come a time when knowledge would be done away with. He said, without the love of God, that that knowledge profits us nothing. Nothing. When the Bible uses the word knowledge, it denotes an understanding, a recognition, or an acknowledgement. So, is knowledge bad? Heavens no. No, it's not bad. The Bible is clear that the knowledge of God is the most valuable knowledge that a human can possess. 
but it is also clear that simply being aware of God's existence, now hear me on this, just being aware of God's existence isn't enough. That's not a sufficient thing to, for, for your belief in God. The knowledge of God and His Word must also be coupled with an under, understanding that wisdom and knowledge of God should bring us to Christ. If it doesn't bring you to Christ, it's okay to know something, but if it doesn't bring you to Christ, it's pretty much worthless from a spiritual standpoint. The, the Apostle Paul reminded the church at, at Colossae, when God came to earth in the person of, of Christ, that Jesus became the embodiment of the knowledge of God's mystery. That is Christ himself, these are Paul's words, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's found in Colossians 2. So, so again, why did the Hebrews, and in this case King, King David, place so much emphasis on knowing the Word of God? Today I want to walk you through this section of Psalm 119, and I want you to see, and we're going to talk about this a lot, I want you to see that there are three overall concepts that we need to keep in mind as we look at the Scriptures. Number one, the Word of God and the promises of God will always reflect the character of God. The Word of God and the promises of God will always reflect the character of God. Number two, once you understand and know the character of God, it should change the way that you live. Number three, knowing the Word of God should lead you to knowing the God of the Word. So those three things are what, are what we're going to talk about. So let's jump right in to verse 119, or Psalm 119, verses 49 through 56. They're going to be up on the screen and probably won't hold you more, more than two, two hours or so. So if everybody's good, everybody went to the bathroom, got a drink of water and everything. Okay, good. Psalm 119, remember the word to your ser servant in which you have made me hope. This is my, is my comfort in my affliction, that your word has revived me. The arrogant utterly deride me, yet I do not turn aside from your law. I have remembered your ordinance of old, O Lord, and comfort myself. Burning indignation has seized me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes are my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. O Lord, remember your name. I remember your name in the night and keep your law. This has become mine that I observe your precepts. That very first verse that we read, David it seems to, is David actually asking God to not forget something? He says, remember the word to your, to your servant. Does an omniscient God need our reminders of his promises? He doesn't. He doesn't. Let's first look at what David is not saying. He is not saying, God, I think you've forgotten. May I please remind you of something that you said? David's not saying that. An omniscient God does not forget anything. If you're a note taker, you can take that down. <laughs> Unless he chooses 
to forget. In Jeremiah 31, and that's not up on the screen, God describes the new covenant that he will make with his people. Now listen to what he says. He says he will, make, he will put his law within them and write it on their heart. He talks about a time when all are going to know the Lord and he will forgive their iniquity and he will not remember their sin anymore. God's not remembering is not what we usually think of as forgetfulness. Have you ever walked into a room and said, and said uh, I forgot what I came in here for? Everybody over 50 years old should be, should be shaking their head, yes, right? All right. And, and the rest of you, it's coming. In human relationships, God's omniscient, first of all. He knows everything. He doesn't forget anything. However, he can choose not to recall it. He can choose not to if he chooses so. In human rela- relationships, we can choose to remember the offenses that someone has committed against us, or we can choose to forget them. To forgive someone, we must often put painful memories out of our mind. We don't actually forget the sin, and it's not that we are unable to recall the offense, but we choose to overlook it. We choose to overlook it. Forgiveness will help prevent us from dwelling on the past, problems of your life and the sins that people have committed uh, uh, against you. This language of God remembering can be found many places in Scripture. God remembered Noah and delivered him and his family. God remembered Abraham and delivered Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah. God remembered Rachel and Hannah and gave them children. Thank God that he chooses to forget our sin. Thank God. But he certainly does not need a reminder of his promises to his people. So God doesn't have a calendar reminder that pops up and says, uh, hey, don't forget the promises you made to your people. God doesn't need that. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, not on the screen, says that the God who calls you is faithful. A.W. Tozer said, the tempted, the anxious, the fearful... The discouraged may all find new hope and good cheer in the knowledge that our Heavenly Father is faithful. He will ever be true to his pledged word. The hard-pressed sons of the covenant may be sure that he will never remove his loving kindness from them nor suffer his faithfulness to fail. God is faithful. His promises are good. You can take it to the bank, what God says to you. So David was not reminding God of what he had said. So what is David doing here? What is he saying? Since God is not forgetful, what is, what's David doing? In asking God to remember his promises, David is reminding himself of the faithfulness of God. That's why David says that God's words... His promises, all that God has said, was what gave him hope. Verse number 50, this is my comfort in my affliction, that your word has revived me. First of all, what was the affliction that David had in mind? What was he, what was he talking about? David doesn't get specific here about what that affliction was. 
but we can get a picture of what was going on in his life from just some other verses in this same psalm. In verses 22 and 39 and 42, he says he was being treated with contempt for his obedience to Scripture. In verses 121 and 134, he was ill-treated for adhering to God's law. In verses 23 and 161, he was despised and persecuted by, by the authorities, by princes, and some of these people were under him. He was even in danger of his life, verses 87 and 109, and this was not unbelieving foreigners. They, they were his own people, Israelites who had wandered from God. David knew affliction. He knew what it was to suffer affliction. There was no such thing as a problem-free life for the king of Israel. I, I, I have an idea that you and I are in the same boat. David's statement seems like a contradiction. Comfort in affliction. How can that be? How can that be? Wait a minute, David. To be, to be comforted, don't you need to be taken out of the affliction? Doesn't God have to pluck you out of it and make it all go away? Don't you mean that God in his word is going to solve all of your problems, cure all your ills, and pay all your bills? No, it was comfort in affliction. How do you get comfort in affliction? David said that God's word had revived him. Does that mean that David just reads God, reads God's word and remembered the promises and he would be temporarily comforted or soothed? Or would he get some emotional hype and feel better for a little while? That would be very short-sighted, and that is not what David had in mind. The literal translation of that, that God had, had revived him was, he preserved me alive. Gives you a little different view on what David said. He preserved me alive. David's statement in verse 50 was, your word has preserved me alive. David had a long history with God and his word. David didn't just know the Word of God. He knew the God of the Word. David had been preserved alive since he was a boy, tending sheep in the fields when a lion or a bear attacked. David had been preserved alive when he stood before Goliath, a giant. David had been preserved alive when he went into battle after, after battle against armies that came against Israel. David had been preserved alive when Saul became jealous of David's popularity and hunted him down to murder him. David had been preserved alive when two of his own sons at different times had tried to overthrow David's power and become king. David had even been preserved alive when his own sin had caused the death of two of his sons and the rape of his daughter. David had been preserved alive when he had a trusted military leader murdered so he could hide his own sin with that man's wife. David had been preserved alive. David knew that he could rely on the mercy of God. And I'll, I'll tell you if, you, if you and I 
rely on anything in this life. It has to be the mercy of God. We will not get out of this world alive. We must rely on the mercy of God. The promises of God were that, that were at the core of the word were a comfort to King David. Verse number 51, he said, the arrogant utterly deride me, yet I do not turn aside from your law. Now, if you look up that word to deride, it has a pretty sharp meaning uh, to utterly deride. These folks were scoffing and ridiculing David with contempt. And the indication is that it was because he didn't turn aside from God's law. They mock obedience to God and are critical of those who love God. Does that sound familiar in our world today? Does any of this sound like anything that's going on today? Just pull up your favorite news feed. It's one thing to endure the common difficulties of life. We know that it rains on the just and the unjust. We live in a fallen world. People get sick. Bad things happen to good people. Not because of anyone's particular sin, but because this world is broken. It's totally different when people sin against you with willful, evil intent. They are the proud and the arrogant. They are the ones that utterly derided David. But listen to what he says in the very next line. I have remembered your ordinances from of old, O Lord, and comfort myself. These ordinances aren't new. They are from of old. The phrase of old literally translates everlasting. They are eternal. They have always existed and are always right and true. Once again, we see that David is comforted by the ordinances of God. What does David mean when he says that he comforts himself? The answer is in the sentence. You know, Nathan has said many times, if you want to figure it out, just keep reading. The answer is in the sentence. David remembered the eternal ordinances of God. It wasn't some hokey chant. It wasn't some, uh, or, or a download of memory from the Spirit of God that caused David to recall the ordinance of God. How do you think that David recalled the ordinances of God? How do you think that happened? Well, first he had to read them. He had to know them. He had to commit them to memory. And if you and I expect to be comforted by the Word of God, we also will have to read it. Did you know that? We'll have to read it as well. We'll have to commit it to memory. We'll have to spend time in God's Word. It'll take more than a Bible in a drawer at home to get comfort from the Word of God. If we expect the Word of God to just magically flow from us, we'll be sorely disappointed whenever trouble comes, and it will. It will come. There's nothing, nothing magical about this. If you want to know God, not just know about God, it will take an intentional study of God's Word. It's okay to say amen. If you believe that God is exactly what his word says he is, and you, you will know that he is good, you will know that there is comfort 
in affliction. Verse number 53. David said, burning indignation has seized me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Who are these wicked? Why would David care that a group of godless people had forsaken God's law? (laughs) These are Israelites. They were the ones who had been given the law. To forsake something, you have to have possessed it at some point. These are supposed to be God's people. That's who David's talking about. Of all the people on the earth, God's people should be the one to proclaim that he is the answer. I, you know, uh, I'm at that point in my life where I, 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 I say the same things once or twice, I'll tell you the same story, maybe a couple of times. <laughs> and sometimes it's not because I'm just forgetting that I told you before. Sometimes I just like the story. <laughs> so I know that I have likely said this every time I've stood up here, but it's worth telling again. At a point in your life, you don't care how many times you repeat the same story. So If I'm going to repeat things over and over, it should be the Word of God, the promises of God. So here it is. Did you know that Jesus was made to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God? Do you know that you can't be righteous any other way? Do you know that this world is looking for something easy and quick that will get them out of problems and hopefully eventually get them out of hell? There is nothing like that. There is nothing like that. God made Jesus become sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. There's no other way. Let's move on. I'm running out of time. Verse 54, David says, Your statutes are my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Now, this was an interesting verse to me. What is a... uh, Thanks. Thanks for the text, Beth. (laughs) Your your statutes are my songs in the house of of my pilgrimage. (laughs) What is the house of my pilgrimage? You know, first of all, let me back up. We would not, it would not be me standing up here if something weird didn't happen with my phone, right? (laughs) Would not be right. What is this house of my pilgrimage that David is talking about? You might read this and think that David is singing songs in corporate worship after making his way to the tent in Jerusalem that housed the Ark of the Covenant. That's not what David's saying. When David talks about the house of my pilgrimage, he's talking about his body. Some translations translate the word pilgrimage as sojourn or sojourning. How do we know that? In Genesis 47, Jacob is talking to Pharaoh and uses the exact same word to describe his years here on earth, his pilgrimage. It was his life. David is saying something very, very, very powerful here, something that we would do well to understand and put into practice in our own lives. We should allow God's word to be the very songs that we sing. Amen. Have you ever been so content 
and happy that you just wanted to sing? Now, we're very blessed in this church, and we have some, and by the way, didn't the birds do an awesome job? <laughs> I love the bird flock, and, and, and Ben, your, your, your talk about social, social media, very, very well put. Thank you. So we are gifted with some, some people who can sing and play, and we've got, we're, th this church is gifted with people. I've listened to people sing that truly bring you into a beautiful place of worship. It makes me want to join in with them, especially if the song is glorifying the, wor the, the Word of God and the God of the Word. David said the statutes of God were his songs while he is in this body here on earth. Don't forget, David's in severe affliction. Some of that affliction was, was the very people who should have been following God. This word pilgrimage or sojourning denoted a very short journey. Our life on this earth is short. This temporary world should not be your source of joy. Are there joyful things in this world? There are. There are, there are joyful things in this world. God has, made, has given us a beautiful world in which to live. Are there ugly things in this world? Yes, there are. But if this temporary world is your source of joy, then your source of joy is going to be very fleeting. It's going to be just about that long. Verse number 55. O oh Lord, I remember your name in the night and keep your law. Now, we talked about this in our Tuesday night leadership group, and uh, the ancient Hebrews had a couple of interesting things that caused them to fear. One was deep water. They tended to believe that deep water could hold all kinds of evil. Uh, there were cultural things that played a part in this fear. Many of them didn't know how to swim. Uh, the other thing that caused them an unusual fear was darkness. This is a fear that would probably make more sense to us. Uh, they thought that the darkness was a part of evil. Now, we know that Jesus is the light of the world, and darkness can't stay where there's light. And, and maybe this was the thought of David's heart when he says he remembers God's name in the night. Or maybe it was just the perception that problems seem to be worse in the night. If you struggle with sleep, you know that your mind will churn out everything that you have concerns about in the middle of the night. It will absolutely tell you every, did I turn on the lights? Did I turn off the lights? Did I do this? Did I lock the back door? Have you gotten up at 2 a.m. to check the back door before? <laughs> I did this morning. It was Whatever it was that caused David to use this language, we see that he had, had again grasped the fact that holding on to the name of God and keeping his law was still his comfort. There's an old southern gospel song and, uh, uh, that says that the God on the mountain is still God in the valley and the God of the day is still God in the night. David said that God's word, his statutes were his songs in the night. 
David's remembrance of God's name was not just recalling his name. God's name, don't forget, denotes the very character of God. This last verse is so very interesting. Even in our meeting on Tuesday night, uh, Nathan had asked, he, what was this that David said has become mine, that I observe your precepts? I'm going to give you a quick rundown of that. Here's a quick summary of the things that David had gained by serving God and observing his precepts. Comfort in affliction. Even in the night, God and, and his word was David's hope. Even in the night, God and his word was David's comfort in affliction. Even in the night, God and his word had preserved David alive. When David was mocked and scorned, and he knew not to turn aside from God and his law, David was comforted by God and his eternal ordinances. David knew that even though many of his own people had forsaken God and his law, those statutes were still his songs while he was here on this earth. We talked about three basic concepts that we should see in this section of Psalm 119. The, the Word of God and the promises of God will always reflect the character of God. Number two, once you understand and know the character of God, it should change the way that you live. Number three, knowing the Word of God should lead you to knowing the God of the Word. God is good to us. He is uh, merciful to us. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.